Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. It's really good to be with you. And uh, we were here on Friday night. I came especially to hear Mark speak. I was not disappointed. So really, really enjoyed what you had to say, Mark. And the other thing too, I just, I just love the atmosphere in the place. Um, you know, God shows up. It's good. Yes, Harry's gallery still exists. So I caught you before you caught me. That was good. And uh, <laughs> is he like that all the time? He is. I'll. I'll I'll, bo- I'll borrow you. You're more interesting than I am. And uh, <clears throat> I just love what the Spirit is doing. And, uh, you know, I think wherever we go, um, the talk and the language is, is revival. Please come, Jesus, uh, etc. And uh, I think anyone who purports to define what revival looks like doesn't know what they're talking about. Because we won't know because it's new. Is that right? All I know is revival is Jesus and we know him. So more of Jesus in the house is revival. And most of the time we we define revival after the fact and not before it, which makes for its legitimacy. So I just want to tell you, you, you have no idea what's coming. You'll have an idea after, but you won't want it to stop, so you'll range between this, I have no idea, to I think I know what it is, um, except the situation has changed. It's amazing how quickly something like a virus changes the planet. And I like the fact that we are you know, confronting this thing without fear. You know, John G. Lake, who is a hero of mine and um, was in South Africa and he, he stayed a plague. He and his team just told the plague to stop and it did. And they did tests as he held in his hand the virus and the virus just died off as they watched. So why can't the church be fire for viruses? You know, I think it's great... Wendy and Andy, good to see you guys. Wendy is the one who does the paintings, originally from Spring, so we claim a little bit of ownership, just a little bit. But uh, I had a look at that, and, and I thought, wow, that looks like some of the mountains not far from us in the Rocky Mountains. But as I went up to say hello, it's not a mountain at all. It's a mountainous iceberg with fire coming out of it. So go figure. And as Wendy said, expect the unexpected. You do not expect fire to come out of ice. So there's fire about to come. Fire from unexpected regions. Friday night, we we rebuked coronavirus as we did tonight. I just really believe the church 
rising up to smack this thing around, I think is a fantastic thing. You know, we see healing happen so often. We, we almost take it for granted. I know when I first got spirit filled, you know, I was so excited about everything, so excited about the miraculous, so excited that the spirit came and did stuff. And uh, it took me a couple of years to figure out that one, it was scriptural and two, tongues was not of the devil. And uh, so, because of my background. And, uh, and then I met with uh, people who said the tide was out. What do you mean the tide's out? I just came in. Don't tell me the spirit tide is out. And uh, because they're apparently seeing fewer miracles and fewer activities of the spirit, uh, I found out the more you want the spirit to come, the more he does. So he doesn't come in as high tide or low tide. He comes in riding on hunger. He comes in because we ask him to. So I love that about the Spirit. And I think that the church is in its uh, most wonderful era right now. You know, we don't have to be intimidated by coronavirus. But I think it's time for, you know, the brightness of Jesus' presence to knock that sucker sick, if that makes, it, makes sense to you. I've got a few things to talk about tonight, as you can imagine. Um, I'm going to free range just a little bit. Uh, I'll probably contain it to about three hours. And uh, I'm kidding for those of you who suddenly sucked air in. And uh, <clears throat> on Friday night, uh, Mark made the comments that revival requires, or worse the effect of, re revival requires righteousness. It's true. And uh, the irony is that uh, uh, the only way you can be righteous is be righteous. Only righteous people get righteousness. Stew on that for a bit. God solves that by giving Jesus, who says anyone who believes in him is righteous. So from there, we head on up. We don't kind of scramble up hoping righteousness comes as a reward. It does not come as a reward. It comes as a gift through Jesus. Does that make sense? You know, it offends the brain, but God specializes in offending brains. It's the religious that just screw everything up. That's a scriptural word meaning screw up. Because somehow we seem to thrive or we are urged to thrive in the midst of struggling to get somewhere. And we get applause because we're struggling. That's not Jesus. C.S. Lewis walked into a, a group of leaders and uh, I think they were professors and someone asked the question, what is Christianity's greatest contribution to the earth? And Lewis just, oh, that's easy, he said. It's grace. That God would do something for nothing for everybody is something that no other religion caters for. In fact, every other religion you know, applauds you on, on the struggle, the attempt, but you never get there. 
but that's, that's what happens with the religious spirit. It's great. Work harder, work harder. You just might get there. And, uh, you know, we'll, by the way, we'll give you several lifetimes in case the first round didn't work. Whereas Christianity starts off where every other religion hopes to end up. So we start high on the mountain. We start high in righteousness. And from that place of righteousness, we become righteous. Does that make sense? It doesn't. But we take it by faith. Amen. Just say amen. By faith. There we go. Very compliant lot. <laughs> Just before I head into some of the things I want to talk about, um, there's an atmosphere in this place for healing, in case you're wondering. Worship certainly set that up. Love you, worship. You guys are still crazy. But it's a wonderful crazy. We just feel so much at home here. Maybe that defines us as well. How many in the, in the room, uh, only reason I, as I walked in, I, I felt sort of a, a dull pain in my middle region, almost verging on a, a nausea uh, until I kind of figured out it, it might be a word of knowledge, in which case the pain left, so there's a clue. Um, anybody here got problems in your middle region? Would you mind standing? Would you, thank you. Who else is here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Sorry about holding my hand up like that. It's not great. Oh, there's a few of you. Awesome. Um, all right. One other thing before we go on too much further. Um, pain in general and particularly in your bones or joints. Anybody in that category? I know there's a very general one, but I'm in a hurry. And uh, all right. Would you mind standing? That's great. Jesus has given to the church, to us when we're gathered together, the ability to heal, hasn't he? There's greater power in the house when you're in the house than when you're out of the house, even though he still works out of the house. Does that make sense? Because there's so much power in community and the Spirit loves to manifest himself when we are to quote Psalm 133, when we are together together. And there's an anointing when that happens. So all of you who are sitting down and now the ministry team. You got it? So those of you who are standing at the moment, would you mind raising your hand? I'm not going to take a lot of and keep, keep it up there. Um, I'm not going to give you too much, too much in the way of instructions because you're a well-tutored house. But you're about to pray for people and the prayer is going to be in the name of Jesus I command that, whatever it is, ask them what it is, command that to be healed. Have you got that? Keep your prayers short. Pray six times rather than one prayer that is long as six times. I found the longer the prayers, the less likely healing comes. It's a fact. That really offends you because, you know, you know your strength of your, if you pray long, you've got more power. Rubbish. Jesus has all the power from the get-go. So 
just, just so. Keep your hands up. For those of you sitting nearby, I'd like you to go to these folk and uh, your first thing is ask them what the issue is and then take authority over that in the name of Jesus. So when someone comes to you, just lower your hand. Just checking the, the hands. If you haven't got someone with you, hold your hand up high. All right, there's a couple down over here. Would someone attend to them? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Keep your prayers short. Keep them direct. And it's Jesus who has all the power and we get to ask him. After the short prayer, keep in mind, short prayer, test out. So check out whether you, you know, any change in the pain or, or a shift of any description, just check it out. If you wouldn't mind doing that now, If you've noticed a change or noticed that you're 80% healed, I want you to wave your, wave your arms. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All right, that's nine people healed, 80% or more, just in a few minutes. Let's, let's just thank Jesus for that, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. All right. We're not finished yet because there's still some of you. If you're still in process, please stand. But just, just listen to this next little bit. Uh, I did um, sort of an apostolic anointing for a pastor in Malaysia. And I got to this church and everyone was so serious. It was, and, and I said, I've got a prophetic word for you. And the word is Chill. You're way too serious. And everyone laughed because they hadn't heard that too much in church because they were quite religious. And, uh, but they all loosened up and there was joy in the house as a consequence. And there should be joy in the house. You know, when we're doing healing, there should be joy in the house. All right? We don't, we don't look like we're sucking on dill pickles. Um, I'm not saying you are. But there needs to be joy in the house. Amen? All right, for those of you who are still not quite healed yet, just ask the person who is praying for you to pray again or pray the third time. Keep your prayers short. We'll just give this a moment or two and then we'll go again. I was in Fiji a couple of years ago and we, we got folk to do this at the end of the service and, and we run out of time. So I said, anybody with pain, please stand. It seemed like the entire congregation stood and uh, which made my heart sink in this regard that 
and not enough people to pray for people and because uh, they all needed prayer. So I, I prayed generally and said, lay hands on each other. And, uh, and then a few moments later, I said, you know, how, how many of you still need prayer for healing? And not a hand went up. And uh, I thought they misunderstood me. So I asked again, you know, how many of you still need healing? Please stand. And uh, nobody stood. And uh, they were all healed in a, in a, in a sweep, uh, which is great. Okay, for those of you doing praying, how many of the second round have noticed a change and particularly if there's an 80% improvement? One over here, thank you. Awesome. Another one over here. Another one at the back here. Another one over there. And there, and there, and there. That's about an eight, I think. Isn't this good? Come on, Twitch, shake hands. Hug the person next to you. Not allowed to shake hands. Actually, we don't have coronavirus. It dies off, doesn't it? So, you, you know, shake hands and kill the, kill the stuff. All right, everyone who is, and there's one or two still praying here, uh, wave your hands. Those of you who have 80%, and I'll explain why 80% in a moment, have received healing. Can you just wave your hands? All right, just look around. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. That's just awesome. And what's even better, I didn't have to preach a sermon to get there. <laughs> Uh, that's great. That's great. As I said in places, and I can't remember if I said this here last year, but I want everybody to be prayerfully predatorial. In other words, it's yeah, coming into a place like this is dangerous for disease. It's dangerous for wounds. It's dangerous for hurts. Because coming into a place where there's presence, um, there's healing. Amen. And say that out really loud. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. For those of you who are still praying, um, keep doing so. I think I told you last year, I prayed for a nearly blind lady 19 times. So short prayers. Can I put my thumb in your eye sockets? Yes. <laughs> prayed. How's that? Nothing, 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 nothing for about the first nine times. Oh, she said, slight improvement. Said, can I pray one more time? Yes. Oh, that's even better. One more time. One more, 19 times later, she was standing 20 yards away reading my name tag. So it taught, it taught me that, you know, we don't, we don't just give up first time round. And I used to do that. You know, it's have this sort of mystical thing that's, well, you know, at least somehow they might have been blessed. And, uh, but... Uh, Keep praying because there's incremental change. I wonder sometimes if we don't get more healing if we just stayed with it and, uh, and shifting. We're quite happy to do that with doctor's medication. You know? Apply that, apply that, apply that, apply that. You know, take your antibiotics for a whole week. And uh, what if we applied prayer for a week? And uh, good stuff. All right, I'm going to read from Acts 20. I want to go to Galatians. I want to touch a little bit on Romans. Oh, we'll throw in Ephesians and, uh, and we'll look at the first half of Hebrews. And, uh, and if you're still here tomorrow, uh, revival has happened. All right. Paul is on his last journey. 
and uh, he's called into Miletus. He asks for the elders of Ephesus to come in and has his, his basically his goodbye speech to these guys who have been co-workers with him. And uh, he, he speaks to them. Verse 18. I'll start verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. That's probably a nicest way to say they caused him a great deal of wounding and grief. In fact, the biggest battle in the New Testament was this battle of, of, of Paul and his gospel of grace versus those who thought that he was, he was demonic. So a major battle in early church history. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Um, one of the things I was thinking of about this coronavirus, it's going to force house to house church again. In the States right now, um, you can't, have a, you can't have a meeting of more than 250 people. Now, that forces most churches uh, to do things differently. So uh, I'm actually happy about that. You know, we'll all be happy when we get back together again, but uh, it's going to force a different kind of relationship with the, with the church, and I think the power of house to house is going to be memorable for us. Verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. In other words, the only solution to this, this issue of God is Jesus. Whether you happen to be Jewish, no special privileges, and, or Gentile, no special curses, you're together in this and you're one in Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Only I know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. How would you like to have a missionary journey where the Spirit has already warned you, you're in trouble? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. Say, finish the race. And complete the task. So finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news or gospel of God's grace. So Paul was radically attendant to this, this whole area of grace. Do I like this place and I like you, Mark. You're a purveyor of grace. And uh, I just like that. I like hanging about with people who've got a handle on grace. Because they're nicer people. You know, they're not bitter and chewed up about religious stuff. Because grace gives you freedom. In fact, religious people hate freedom because they want to control you. And the so-called freedom. And they fear freedom because in their minds, if you're free, you're free to sin. Well, technically you are, but why... Would you want to? 
How about looking at that and say you're for the first time in your life because you are now declared righteous in Jesus and you are now free from law, which is the context that he spoke that in, in Galatians. For the first time in your life, you are free to be righteous. We're asking you to be righteous because you can. Jesus announced you righteous, so therefore you walk in that and the fruitfulness of the presence of the Spirit creates righteousness in and around you. Righteousness is a supernatural activity. It's not something you sweat about hoping, you know, all your life you might get a reward. It's a bit like religious people being really upset that someone gets married because all they've done is applaud the courtship. You know, if you sweat on this relationship and you court, that's good. Just stay that. But for whatever you do, don't consummate. That's what religious people think about coming to Jesus is about. Whatever you do, don't actually have a relationship. But we want to applaud you because you're working so hard for one. Make sense? It's critical we get this, we get this in. So it says, my aim is to finish the race, complete the task, and the task is testifying to the gospel or good news of God's grace. And we, at least Friday night last year when I was on, I was talking on grace. Grace is defined as God's empowering presence, not unmerited favour. In fact, you have a whole congregation of pastors say, what's grace? And they'll all blurt out unmerited favour. Yeah, you do get that, but it's much more than that. And I want to pose this question to you. Did Jesus have when it says he was full of grace and truth, did he have unmerited favour? No, he didn't. Jesus did not have unmerited favour. He had merited favour. Yes? And we get the same grace as he got, which is God's empowering presence, which makes a lot more sense in the biblical verses that contain the word grace than unmerited favour, in which you translate grace in those verses and say, oh, and great unmerited favour was upon them all. You sound like an idiot. So there is the power of God that Jesus wants to give us, which is why he said to the disciples, don't do anything until the Spirit comes on you. You know, what a testimony. We walked around with Jesus for three years. I mean, we'd build churches just on the testimony alone, even without the Spirit, which Peter tried to do. Wow, Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Oh, oh, we'll build three shelters, three temples up here. And God says, shut up, Peter. Just listen to his son, my son. Jesus told him not to tell anyone. You know, so so much for, for... testimony bringing the miraculous, Jesus says, shut up. And the reason was Jesus did not want an unspirit-empowered testimony because all that does is set up another religion. So don't do anything until you're filled with the Spirit. In fact, and what he didn't say is you can't do anything until you're filled with the Spirit. Whatever you do that's does not have the spirit's going to be worthless and turn to ashes. So the spirit comes in 
guaranteeing our inheritance, but also empowering us to do with the same grace that Jesus had what Jesus did. I want a church filled with Jesus-empowered people. They know that they are righteous. They're not sweating on whether or not they've qualified. And by the way, and I could spend a long time on this, but when Paul talks about it's impossible for you to be righteous through law, he actually means that because the law is very good at condemnation and judgment. That's what it does. The law does not reprieve you one single bit. In fact, that's, what, that's why the church is largely schizophrenic. On one hand, we're saved. On the other hand, we're sucking sand trying to go somewhere and it doesn't work. Righteousness cannot come by law. And I'm summarizing now. Galatians talks about not only are we unable to get righteousness through law, so let's get that in our heads. So I don't know why law is suggested as a so-called corrective to grace. Um, that is lunacy. So let's, you know, Romans 14 talks about whatever is not of faith is sin. Paul says in Galatians, the law is not based on faith. Just chew out that logic. So we want you to base, we want you to balance grace, that act of faith, with law, which is an act of unbelief. It's no wonder we do church in a crazy way. We need liberty and my heart is, and you know, the argument keeps coming up. Well, you're saying there's no law. That means we can sin. Well, if you're dumb, yes. If you have no strength in terms of the spirit, no notion of the heart of Jesus, there by all means. But you'd be stupid. The law doesn't make you righteous. Only Jesus can. And he empowers you to live a righteous life. So I'm, I'm in favour of righteousness being part of a revival. I'm in favour of holiness being part of a revival. But it's a holiness that's granted to us first by God announcing it and secondly because the spirit of holiness or the spirit of Jesus resides in us and he begins to infuse us. He begins to change us from the inside out. So if the law is not based on faith and anything that is not based on faith is sin, we cannot say, well, grace makes you righteous, but you need to balance that. Oversurpassing greatness of grace, and the Greek word is hupabello, hupabello, which is Paul's use of the word hyper. Grace is hyper. I don't like the term. But if grace is all-surpassing, it's a wonderful term. The implication of hyperbello is, is you know, it's further than you can jump on your best day. Verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Keep in mind, he's running the race, he's completing the task, he's testifying to the good news of God's grace, and now he's 
likened that phrase, preaching the kingdom, with those first few phrases. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. In other words, I've told you how to get out of jail. I've told you what righteousness is about. I've told you about Jesus. I've told you that everybody who believes in Jesus gets saved. So I'm innocent of what happens to you. Verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, running the race, completing the task, testifying to good news, preaching the kingdom and proclaiming to you the whole will of God. I'll come on to Galatians in just a moment, but I can't help myself. I'm going to mention it now. I was thrown about a bit in my early years when I was, well, to be honest, I was a legalist. I had a high value for the law. And I really choked on Galatians. I don't, I don't know how I missed most of Galatians. I don't know how my professors at college missed Galatians as well. Basically, you can't understand grace outside the context of the Spirit. Without the Spirit, you need law. So if you have a theology that truncates the Spirit or eliminates him altogether, you have to go back to law. I've got a verse for that. It's 1 Timothy 1.8. The law is good when it's used for good purposes. The law was not made for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. So if you want to go under law, you, you need to get rid of the Spirit as well. The very power of God to make and keep you righteous, as Gordon Fee, one of my favourite theologians, says we, we in English don't translate the word dikaios or dikaiosene, which is translated justify, really well because we have such a, a legalistic or forensic view of this he says, the best, we don't have an English word for that, but the best English word for it is righteous size. Everybody who believes in Jesus is righteousized. Not only declared or announced righteous, but you become righteous as well by faith. So in other words, so much for this, oh, you want to do without law, so you're saying we should, we will sin. And your best answer for that, don't be stupid. That is really stupid. And by the way, since when did keeping a law prevent you from sinning? Let's be honest about that. Now, psychologically, we know really well that you can never be the reverse of an idea. So if I want you to be righteous, what I don't do is tell you to focus on not sinning. What will you do? You'll be just focused on sinning because you're focusing on not sinning doesn't make too much difference. The only way that you'd be righteous is focus on Jesus. Imbibe. That's a great word because we drink in until it becomes part of us, the Holy Spirit, and he changes us. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. In other words, he bought us. He bought the church. You know, this is the best message Christianity can offer. 
that Jesus came and we get to belong to him for eternal life for free. Choosing Jesus is the most intelligent, transforming decision that you ever make. Seriously. You know, and I wish the Bible was written in Australian. You know, Paul would end up saying, believe in Jesus. Have a go, mate. You know, try him out. You know, don't sit there and say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, have a go. You hardly, you don't know what you're talking about until you have a go. Because there's radical transformation. Yes? So there's your good evangelistic technique. Hmm. Believe in Jesus? I don't believe. Oh, have a go, mate. Wanting to say that, I've listened to too many Americans over the last little while. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears, or night and day if you're following the text here. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. By the way, what builds you up? The word of his grace builds you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So how do we get built up? and join the sanctified, in other words, the holy, and you heard your pastor tonight talk about we want to encourage holiness. Well, I'm going to recommend how to do that. Hang in there with Jesus, listen to the word of his grace, and know that you belong so that you transform and you join the ranks of the sanctified. Let's uh, jump over to uh, Galatians, uh, Galatians 1. I... You know, you have no idea how much restraint I'm using tonight because I want to go through the whole book of Galatians, but I can't. Galatians is like Crocodile Dundee on that New York street when he met the mugger. The mugger pulls out a knife and you know the famous scene, he pulls out this gigantic knife, that's not a knife. This is a knife. So Galatians is a knife to the jugular, to the religious jugular. That's a nothing. Here it is. Verse 6, and I'd like to read the intro, but verse 6 is good. I'm astonished. Galatians 3 is probably the least pastoral verse that Paul has and there's so many people who throw out Paul because he offends their pastoral sensibilities where in Galatians 3 you stupid Galatians <laughs> who has bewitched you which is even worse because oh Paul you can't say that yes by gum he can say that because he led these people into an experience in Jesus they had an experience where the Holy Spirit just fell on them. They supernaturally started to love on each other. They supernaturally began to run a spiritual race of righteousness. Signs and wonders and miracles happened in their midst. It was common occurrence 
until some crazies came who said, excuse me, you guys need to have a little bit of surgery before you really get recommended into the kingdom. So we want to take some off you to give you more. And Paul, in the spiritual sense, does his nana. <laughs> you guys, having started with the spirit, are you going to keep following and pursuing that brilliance by doing law? You've already noticed that having done that, you've lost where you were. You bite and devour each other. Supernaturalness is gone. And he says later on, anyone who wants to pursue righteousness by law falls from grace. Interesting. If grace is God's empowering presence, anyone who wants to pursue law for righteousness at best loses their supernaturalness. Seriously, which is what happened to the Galatians. And then he goes his next bit and says, and you have alienated yourself from Jesus. Now, you've got to question whether or not they lost their salvation. Because I can't think of alienating yourself from Jesus and being saved at the same time. It just doesn't compute. So Paul starts off, I'm astonished that you, so, you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Remember his comment back there in Acts where he says, wolves will come among you and they'll, they'll try to destroy you. So he's saying these, this has already happened with the Galatian church. They are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's interestingly pastoral. <laughs> that particular section there and the rest of Galatians just shook me up. I was in ministry, but in a somewhat legalistic place. I spent weeks, months going over and over and over again till one day I pushed away from my desk and I said two things. One, I can fly. I really would have liked to have been an airline pilot as a teenager, but my parents told me couldn't do that because at that stage we kept the Saturday Sabbath starting Friday night, finishing sunset Saturday. And so you couldn't fly because you'd fly into a Sabbath and you couldn't work. <laughs> so my first reaction, I could fly. The second one, because I knew my Martin Luther history, um, I don't have to kiss these stairs anymore. I don't have to, you know, on works, just, just, I don't have to kiss these stairs anymore but it really hit me that I needed to figure out what Paul's gospel was. And I needed to figure out what I believed about the gospel. And if I believed differently to Paul, I did not have the gospel. And I figured I didn't have the gospel. I had to align what I believed to what Paul believed. 
And it was a radical departure from what I previously thought. I read your comment here by, by Gordon Fee again, theologian, and in his commentary on Galatians, just in that particular section. And he says this, we might begin our reflections by asking whether or not we stand on the other side of Paul's gospel. In other words, no gospel. With those who here stand condemned because we too have added our own set of rules and regulations to the pure gospel of Christ. Is it not possible that in our eagerness to help God out, as it were, we have added conditions to grace that lie on the law-keeping side of things that have almost nothing to do with the gospel itself? I don't really have vested interest in educating you so you think like me, other than I know where you want to head and I want to help you get there. To add to the gospel and adding the law to gospel, bearing in mind, you know, we have the law of Christ, as he says, you know, make disciples of all nations, teaching what I have commanded you, which is far superior in ethics and morals and activity. I mean, the law says, just don't go into your neighbor's wife. Jesus says, don't even think about it. So we have a higher standard than the law could ever do. You know, law is inadequate to bring righteousness. It's not comprehensive enough and it has no power. It is amazing how historically Pentecostals, who often know about the Spirit the most, trust Him the least. And have found it easy to add external, excuse me, regulations regarding food, dress, and entertainment as a means of hemming people in. In other words, we, we are trying to help you with your righteousness, brother. In actual fact, it suffocates righteousness. Our job is not to be a rule maker for somebody else. Our job is to take them to Jesus. And the solution is, here's not a set of rules that you follow, but here's a Jesus I'm going to help you listen to. So real discipleship is teaching people how to have a conversation with the Father rather than here's a set of rules because we can't have enough rules to cover all the bases. And if we did, they just don't cover the bases anyway. Does that make sense? Because if we're trusting rules, we're doing it out of unbelief and distrust of the Spirit which, by the way, according to Romans 14, is sin. So it's amazing how, you know, follow the rules so you will keep you from sinning. It actually produces sin, which is what Paul says. The Lord just makes sin evident. And people take that, that's a good thing. No, it's not. The Holy Spirit can bring that around. And as John says, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of righteousness. In other words, I just want you to know that in Jesus, you're a righteous person. And the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of your standing with Jesus. The religious will say, there we are, he comes in and he's trying to 
convict you of sin all the time. No, he does not. He wants to keep us convicted of righteousness because only those convicted of righteousness can be righteous. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. Just say yes by faith. Because we cannot transform outside the power of God. Every regulation on the planet cannot transform you. Having begun in the spirit, reading back here with Gordon Fee, do I myself find it easier to keep myself and others faithful to Christ by establishing rules of conduct that give me a sense of confidence in my obedience to the rules rather than living out of a profound and pure gratitude to the God who in grace would include me among his children? I hope you got that. There, there is something about hearing the Father's voice that speaks to you and says, son, you belong. I have an author, Dr. Jim Wilder, who I've been reading a lot of and um, talking about healing trauma and says, uh, and he defines trauma as, as trauma, but as bad things that have happened to you that have not yet been processed through the heart of the Father. Because after trauma has been processed through the heart of the Father, you get healing because you, you see yourself and you see the circumstance as though Jesus was there with you. And of course, that's powerful counselling technique and ministry. Is my, and this is the last one, is my identity to be found in some modern form of circumcision rather than in trusting God's grace so that his spirit produces his character in me? Why is it, I wonder, that we find law-keeping so attractive? Good question. I used to, used to call that pernicious law creep. You know, somehow you start in the spirit and the law creeps in. Because some, I'll be nice here, cretin decides that you need to know this stuff for a better balance in your life. In actual fact, it suffocates you and you wonder why you are not progressing. You wonder why your discipleship isn't taking. Well, it's like pure water is intoxicating, but just to make it interesting, we'll add arsenic. And we do that as a matter of religious form. Why is it, I wonder, that we find law-keeping so attractive? Is it because we have a hard time believing that God accepts and forgives us just as we are, what's and all? You know, I think if we're honest, we're really offended that, you know, I know let me put it this way, I'm offended. Somebody brand new, you know, they just come off drugs just like a couple of hours ago and, uh, and you know full well that they haven't proved themselves but they'll come in and they've been shown how to pray and suddenly they'll lay hands on someone and they're healed. Aren't you offended by that? They didn't do the yards you did. They haven't done 27, 28 years in ministry. Well, it's 40 plus now total. You've got to celebrate what God does and he empowers those who are just beginning the same as those of us 
who have trudged this journey a little longer. That's good news. We need to celebrate that. We need always to celebrate what Jesus is doing. Is it because we have a hard time believing that God accepts and forgives us just as we are, warts and all? Or am I driven by a need to prove myself before God since I do not show evidence of spirits of the Spirit's fruit as much as I would like? There's so much, almost a, we can't help ourselves with the temptation of trying to prove our worth. It's like, thank you, God, for accepting me, warts and all, <laughs> but I still have a few warts, so therefore I don't qualify. At that point, we have stopped listening to the Father who says, Son, the only way those warts go is in my presence and in my approval of who you are. That's grace. There's much more I'd like to say, but you can't bear it right now. It's all right. <laughs> you guys are embarked on a journey for revival. You've always set yourselves for that. Your leaders have certainly done that. Whatever this revival looks like, it's coming. You're going to have heaps of people coming into this place as though they were coming into a hospital casualty ward. Searching for solutions and answers and at least someone to love them. Unless we know we are loved, we can't love. Unless we know God just loves us warts and all, we can't accept those who do have warts still, even though they're in process. And our mentality needs to change so we see that person there as a righteous individual. And it's not a mark of high prophetic ability to point out the sin of others. Satan specializes in that and none of us call him prophetic. but it is prophetic to say, I see what God sees. Welcome to the family. Welcome to life. Welcome to the process of transformation. The irony is you are fully transformed in his eyes while you're in the process of being transformed. Don't ask me to explain it, but that's his business. But that's why I like Jesus. That's why I like grace. That's why we have good news. And everyone said. Amen. I'm going to teach you what we teach at Dayspring. We've taught them not to say amen, even though amen is really good. So you can keep, when Catherine's back, say amen. Um, but we say, yeah. yeah. So everybody said, yeah. yeah. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you've done for us already. We thank you. Uh, your provision is just way beyond our, our 
comprehension and our ability to understand, but we say yes to you because we like what you have. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that Glory City Church, you named yourselves well, but I ask that glory will be manifested in this place in the context of supernatural grace. Father, I ask for liberty. I ask for freedom. I ask for the freedom to be righteous, the, the dependence on Jesus as opposed to being dependent on anything else because anything but Jesus is just pure religion. And he's going to mess with your head, so accept that. But that's okay. Because he's going to mess with a lot of heads who come in here. And you're going to help them and say it's normal. Father, I ask that rich grace will be the hallmark of Glory City Church. I ask, Father, that there'll be so much love. That, that is supernatural love. We choose to do it, but it's like you grace us with even more. So we ask for supernatural love in our midst. We ask for a continuation of healing. And may this be a healing environment where Jesus gets glory. And everyone said. Everyone said. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.